This episode of The Homilist is brought to you by Ozark Christian College. Ozark Christian College in Joplin, Missouri has been focused on the same mission for over 75 years, to train men and women for Christian service. Ozark's Bible Foundation, Christian Community, Global Outreach, and Affordable Cost prepare students to serve in whatever kingdom assignment God has for them. With residential and online degrees, Ozark sends out workers into the harvest field, with 15,000 alumni serving in all 50 states and in 100 countries around the world. Ozark is also glad to offer next-level resources, free videos and webinars for you and your church, led by Ozark professors like Michael DeFazio, Shane J. Wood, and Mark Scott. Next-level resources cover topics like how to read your Bible, the parables of Jesus, and exploring the Enneagram, and much more. Find next-level resources at no cost at occ.edu forward slash next level. And find out more about Ozark Christian College at occ.edu. Welcome back. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving holiday. This is the season premiere episode, season four, first episode. Before I dive into my conversation with today's guest, let me mention just a few things that I'm thankful for. First, thank you to the guests who've been on this podcast. They've been incredibly generous with their time and their knowledge, and I've learned so much. I know you have too. You've messaged me and you've told me about it, and so I appreciate those guys. Second, I'm thankful for the sponsors of this podcast as well. Their willingness to get behind this idea and push with money and resources has been such an incredible blessing. So let me name them off for you. Ozark Christian College. They signed on as a supporter for this podcast before it was ever a podcast. They liked the premise. They were proud enough to put their name on it. So very thankful to Ozark Christian College. Hey, hey, Jared, what about the theme music? Hey, good point. The band, Ina Bluma. Oh, my goodness. They are the ones who are responsible for the theme music. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, Jared, we've heard like three different versions of the theme music. Okay, well, the early versions, that's just canned music. I just, I just bought that. But the next two... One's got a little, it's a little wispy, got a little, got a little beat down behind it. That's Ina Bluma. What about the slide guitar, Jared? Yeah, the slide guitar episode? Yeah, that's also Ina Bluma. See, Ina Bluma is a husband and wife musical team made up of Caleb and Aaron Paxton. Wonderful, wonderful people. In fact, if you need a jingle or an instrumental background for maybe a video that you're producing, it's right up their alley. You need to get a hold of them. Go to thehomeless.com and click on the sponsorship right up at the top. There'll be a little thing about sponsorship. Click on that and you can reach out to them, take you to the Facebook page, and you can get them lined up to do some work for you. I think he'd be more than willing to help you out. Um, another supporter for this podcast is Melissa Hobbs Virtual Solutions. Like, whoa, never even heard that one. Yeah, no, I haven't mentioned it. It's been on the website, though. Do you need somebody to help you with social media, calendar, or project management? Call this gal. Melissa and her crew can handle it. They can knock your project out for you. I've used I've used their services a few times, a few times to get some edits done on some things that I'm I've been working on. Comes back quick, comes back flawless. It's perfect. So Melissa Hobbs Virtual Solutions, also in the sponsorship box on the website. The last sponsor I'll mention is El Guapo Cigar and Pipe Lounge in Joplin, Missouri. This is like two stories of playground equipment built for men. Alex has axe throwing, cornhole, pinball, and other arcade games. He does comedy night. He's got a walk-in humidor with a great selection of cigars. Go over there and see my buddy Alex. You tell him you heard this on the podcast, he'll be able to give you a discount. At least he told me he would. So holding to it. Do you want to know something for? You. 
I don't know if you know this or not. If you follow us on Instagram or Facebook, maybe you've seen this, but we just broke the 10,000 downloads mark. Well done. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing this podcast with the people that you love. We have some new goals that we'll be working on for 2020, and I have no doubt that we will reach them. So thank you. Thanks for listening. I appreciate that. Um, speaking of podcasts, let me mention a couple of podcasts that I'm really thankful for and that I'm listening to these days. And I would encourage you to listen to them as well. The guys behind these two podcasts have been guests on the homeless and now they have their own podcast. First one is this bake the cake, bake the cake with Matt Cody and Joel Dill. These two have something special going on. I don't know exactly what it is, but they got something special going on. Uh, this is a personality driven podcast. I love it. You see, when I say personality-driven podcast, what I mean is this. So the Homeless Podcast, this is like an interview show, right? We sit down and we'll pick the brain of somebody else. We'll interact. We'll just kind of just, just back and forth. You know, have some conversation. But personality-driven podcast, listen, Joel Dill and Matt Cody, what they're doing, it's pretty catchy. It's, it's pretty catchy. And here, here's why. Because Joel Dill is a good person. And that's not to say that Matt Cody isn't a good person. But Joel Dill is just a good person. You can hear it in his voice that he just is, he's just a good guy. He just wants to be a good person. Matt Cody, on the other hand, he has something that's very special and very endearing to me. Okay, it's very endearing to me. See, as an Enneagram 7 with an 8 wing, I look at a guy like Matt Cody, who I believe is an Enneagram 8 with a 7 wing. Matt Cody's angry. There's something on the inside of this guy. He's angry. He would be he would be barking right now saying, no, it's passion. No, it's fervor. You know, but 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 it's angry. He's just got some anger inside. And it's always coming out. And I love it. Absolutely love it. Go check out Bake the Cake. It's a great podcast. Second podcast I want to mention, The Cultural Redemptive. Trevor DeVage and Kristen Gray. These guys are tackling some big issues. Now, this isn't for everybody. This isn't for everybody. And they would tell you the same thing. This podcast might not be for you. However, if you like to have your own thought stream disrupted or you enjoy gaining a different perspective, TCR, baby, the cultural redemptive, they will take you for a ride with their honesty and their transparency. These guys are great. So love their stuff. The cultural redemptive. Okay, enough chatter. I imagine at this point... You're running, exercising, commuting to work, and you're thinking, dude, shut up! I know. I'm sorry. My guest today is Mark Christian, lead pastor at Christ Church of Orinoco in Orinoco, Missouri. My friend, my friend Phil Sperling, he's the one who recommended getting Mark on the podcast, and I'm so glad he did. So, here we go. Mark Christian, welcome to the Homilist Podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. I ask every guest, hey, who are a couple of guys that I need to get in contact with? Um, and then they give me a name. Talk to this guy. Talk to this guy. Talk to this guy. Yours was feedback from listeners. They came in. They said, listen, get Mark Christian. And uh-huh. then they said, have him talk about leadership and have him talk about conflict resolution. That's what it was. It was oh, conflict, yeah. yeah. Conflict resolution and leadership. Have Mark Christian talk about those things. I said, okay. They're like, do it. Get it done. Hurry. Hustle up. Get it done. So so I'm excited. So, uh, so thanks for joining me on this. Well, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's excellent. It's excellent. So tell us, uh, so tell us where you are. Uh, I'm in uh, Oronogo, Missouri, which is a town of about 2,000 people north of Joplin. And it's a 65-year-old church, and I've been been here 10 years. Wow. Wow. 65-year-old church. Yeah. It had a big turnaround in the late 80s, 
and went from a small family church of about 120, 125 people uh, to a church much larger than that over the past 30 so years. Uh, three different pastors have led it, and it's all been incremental growth. And it's been fun to come and see what's happened and try to understand why it happened. Yeah, yeah, that's excellent. How big is Orinoco itself? The town's about 2,100. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so, and when, so when we so, moved out here 10 years ago, it was about 1,500. And my wife looked at me and said, where are you taking me? And I said, <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, and so the church is about uh, – the church, is, the church uh, outnumbers the community at this point, right? Yeah, we run – depends on which way the wind's blowing. It's between about 2,700, 3,000 people on a weekend. Yeah. Yeah, that's excellent. It's always cool to find. It's always cool to find a church where the church has found a way to outgrow population-wise the community that it sets in. You know, yeah, I mean, that's a that's a pretty cool thing. I was at a uh, gathering of preachers, as well as a, the preaching summit in Indianapolis. When I know you had Jeff Fall on previously, and when he was opening that, my buddy and I went to it, and I remember somebody standing up and talking about this church in Missouri that made no sense. When it came to growth, because it had no population base, it was in a very small country town, country roads out to it, none of the conveniences. And uh, to find myself there about 15 years later is pretty amazing. <laughs> That's really cool. It's really yeah. cool. Well, I grew up in uh, Tyro, Kansas. Okay. And so you're talking about a population of 250. And um, the church itself had just been growing drastically, you know, over the last, I think at one point, uh, over a thousand every Sunday, which <laughs> a town of two hundred and fifty people, that's right. quite a it's quite a strange yeah. thing. So yeah, really cool. Really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. That reminds me a lot of reminds me a lot of, you know, where we grew up. That's pretty that's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. So you've been there how long? Ten years? Ten years. Ten years. Yeah. yeah. I was in Michigan for twenty two years at a church right out of college. Started as a youth minister, became the preacher, and uh then we left there in oh nine to come here. Excellent. Excellent. So uh, when we talked on the phone the other day, you were talking about a book. And so I got the book and um, how to think. Yes. Uh, I didn't completely finish it. I didn't completely finish it, but it was a pretty decent read. Yeah, I think it helps us uh, determine writing. I think it's the thing that I picked up on. It was not only reasoning ourselves through the scripture, but how do we reason with other people? Yeah. And to have that intellectual debate, because you and I both know faith is an intellectual exercise as much as it is just trusting. And, uh, and you know, it's we're in an entertainment culture. Getting people to think is more challenging than probably ever before. Yeah, absolutely right. Absolutely right. I'm, uh, I'm coming, over to, uh, coming over to Joplin tomorrow. And so okay. uh, one of the things that I'm talking about is when we tell stories and use parable – you know, within scripture, you typically don't get two camera angles, you know, right. You get, this is the way the story went from, from the eyes of the storyteller. And this is, this is how it goes. You think about how that's different than film to where you can cut in anytime and go to another story yeah. and start giving backstory. And then you can give a different camera angle and you can see different things that are going on behind the scenes where in scripture, you know, it's really, it's really hard to, it's really hard to kind of piece some of that stuff together. And you got to be careful piecing some of that stuff together. You can really yes. start so yeah. making some stuff up pretty easy. So, yeah. Yeah. But that was, I did enjoy, I did enjoy that. I did enjoy that book. Um, how to think, what was the author's name again? I forgot. Uh, oh, goodness. Um, Alan Jacobs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Jim Johnston. I think he may have been one of your professors at Ozark. Uh -huh. Jim was the one who recommended to me at a board meeting we were at 
he said, have you read that? And I said, no. And he said, you should. And he was right. Yeah. Well, listen, Jim Johnson also suggested I read Maps of Meaning by Jordan Peterson. And um, <laughs> then then when my when my brain melted uh, after about chapter three, and I, I was like, no, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Like, I love JP, but I'm having a hard time keeping up, buddy. Like, you intellectual yeah. capacity isn't there. That was pretty good. Uh, are you a fan of Jordan Peterson? Have you read some of his stuff? I've read some of his stuff. I think I understand what he's doing. I uh, struggle sometimes in the context in which he's trying to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, a lot of guys have uh, a lot of guys have the same uh, have the same uh, uh, mindset when it comes to that. <laughs> One guy, in fact, said he's he listen. He's making converts better than the church. You know. Yeah. Um, to what uh, is the question? But he is making converts. You know, yeah. faster than the church. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I do. I always appreciate those. I always appreciate those guys, and I appreciate them from a different from a, from a different standpoint. I love to watch somebody on a journey, and the early days of Jordan Peterson as an atheist, as a guy who's completely shut off from all ideas like that, and then to see him start seemingly make a make a trek towards something yeah. that's starting to look like that. That always excites me. That always I'm always kind of. I was kind of pulling for that guy, you know, I was right. kind of pulling for yeah. that guy. Like, okay, come on, keep coming. This is going to be good. Keep coming. So excellent. Well, let's, uh, let's jump into some, uh, let's jump into some preaching questions here. There's a couple introductory questions. Um, and this is just a fan favorite. This is just a fan favorite. What passage of scripture makes you laugh? What passage of scripture makes you laugh? Um, it's been one of my favorites since I was a kid. It's in Luke seven, when Jesus walks by the widow and her son is, they're carrying him to the graveside and jesus just reaches up touches the casket the part that makes me laugh is luke gives us this powerful moment and he says he sat up and started to talk and then the story's over and it has mesmerized me since i was a kid the details they walk him to the edge of a cliff in nazareth he walks through them they got him to the cliff they couldn't get him over the cliff and there's no detail and it just makes my heart smile go of all the things to record why would you leave us hanging like that right and it's that it's that fascination with what's unsaid. Sometimes that you know, we, like you said earlier about parables, we can turn that in to phrases that aren't intended. Mm-hmm. But Luke is famous for leaving us, taking us right to the edge, and then that detail's not important. Let's get on to the next story. And I want to know what he said. Was he talking to Jesus? Was he talking right. to his mom? What happened there? Yeah, yeah. No. So how do you? So how do you? Right. You know what cracks me up about that story is he came. He he came. He came to life and started talking. And I wonder if it was the same the same story that he was telling when he died. If it were something along the same, like he just came to and he's like, anyway. And so yeah. then I was talking to Jim. Yeah, exactly. It's like what? Yeah. Dude, you've been gone for a. You've been gone for a minute here. Yeah. You know. No, uh, I think that that's the same thing. I wonder in. Just those those details about what what did they talk about and why would they leave? Why was that not important for us to know? Yeah, yeah. What do you do with that preaching wise? What do you do uh, with a story like that? When I was younger, uh, when I first started doing this, I would have tried to formulate an answer so that 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 lingering tension of what's not said wouldn't get in the way. Now I absolutely surrender to that what's not said, and I stop and think it's the same thing God did to Job. Job asked him what ten mm. twelve questions. God answered none of them. But he he gave him more things to think about than he could even answer. And I think Mm. sometimes that tension of the unexplained is part of where our faith grows most. And so I love dropping people right there and then going, yeah, we'll never know. Next story. Because it creates that same tension in me like, 
God is not out to prove himself each and every day to us. He already has. He's trying to get us to trust him in the silence too. Mm, But it always makes me smile what's not said. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorites, one of my favorites comes from the book of Job. One of my favorite funny, funny lines comes from the book of Job. And it's this, look at my life. I'm falling apart. Everything's terrible. And then God swoops in and he's like, what do you know about ostriches? Yeah. You know? It's that that line of, and then God kind of goes on this little tangent. And he's like, "The dumb, terrible mothers, terrible." You know, lay eggs in the sand, tromp around with the huge feet. Absolutely terrible mothers. They're yes. merciless. I mean, they're just that. But but have you seen them run? Have you seen them run faster than the horse and rider? So like, I love that. Here's Job in the midst of his misery and intensive care, and it's like, what is just it? Like this is a terrible pastoral call, God. Like this is a yeah. terrible pastoral call. You show up and tell me all about things that make you yeah. happy. Like this is crazy. This is a crazy story. It, yeah. It's absolutely God telling us, I know what I'm doing even when you don't. And I love <laughs> right. that. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Uh, that's hard. That is hard, especially for um, a culture and a people group who we love to button things down. We love to button things down. We like to know stuff. I want to know stuff, Mark Christian. I want to, <laughs> I don't, I just want to know no stuff. I want to be a prof- I want to be able to Google it and know it. You know, yeah, just and, know it instantly. But, but we are mesmerized by mystery, mm-hmm. and I think the beauty of what God did in Scripture was He gave us enough to whet our appetite, but He didn't satisfy our full hunger. Mm-hmm. And so, if He would have answered all of our questions, we, we wouldn't. You and I know this. We wouldn't need faith. Yeah. And I think what's fun as you get older is to say, I, I don't know. And I always wonder stupid things like when you see the color of a, a sunset. Is it possible that there's a shade of yellow in that one sunset that will never be repeated again? Mm. And when I stop and think about what God is doing all around me is he's like, that may have been one in a moment that you saw that color no one else ever saw. And that the mystery of that is what Paul celebrates, right, regularly. And I think when you and I become the answer men in the teaching and in the pulpit, we've we've stepped into a gap we're not supposed to. I think we're, we're tour guides. We get to point out what is. So good. And then simply say, I don't know, man. Isn't yeah. it awesome? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So it sure takes yeah. pressure off. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Speaking of which, I just I just finished the book of Daniel. We were preaching through Daniel. I just finished the book of Daniel, um, chapter 11, and I just kind of brushed up against chapter 12. Listen, I'm telling you, at the end of that, it was like, look, we're going to let this be the mystery that it is. Uh, we yeah. can ask Hal Lindsey and, and David Jeremiah. We can ask, yeah. look, I got, I got nothing. I got absolutely nothing for it. Like, this is as far as I can go with it. <laughs> Maybe someone else can. I can't. Absolutely. I can't take us any further. You know, it is an absolute, absolute mystery. Some of this stuff, it, and it has to stay that way, doesn't it? It has to stay yeah. that way. You know, Creativity. With, without those gaps, there's no creativity in any of us if everything is solved. That's why mm-hmm. we are creating new things all the time. I think the whole God's dominion over creation is, I've given you all these building blocks. Go build something beautiful and honoring. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think those gaps, that's when we form ourselves Yeah, in, in those silences. There's a wonderful, there's a wonderful podcast episode from, um, I think it's called, I think it's called Radiolab. Radiolab, have you heard Radiolab yeah, podcast? Yeah, you bet. Okay, so the Radiolab podcast, they have one on uh, color. I don't know if you've heard this one or not. It's on. Yeah. You have? Yeah, I have it. That's a, it's fascinating. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. Incredible. So uh, f- for the listeners, you need to you need to look up this look up this episode because it's in, it's so cool. And the first time I heard it, 
I was I was out in the yard working. And I was just listening. And I was like, oh, what is this? And it's talking about color. And then all of a sudden, in comes these voices. Like, so how many cones does a human eye have? And so it starts talking about that. And then you hear these voices come up. It's like this was the this was the cool part to me. I'm listening to a podcast, listening to a podcast about color and the way that they're going to depict color and how much color you see is by the number of voices that are singing a certain chorus in the background. I mean, it is a mind blowing. It's a difficult thing to even explain, you know, Uh, but man, I love that episode when you said that about sunsets and color and all that. Uh, That's what it made me think of that radio lab, radio lab episode. That's a good one. Uh, who inspires Mark Christian? Who who uh, who who trips his trigger when it comes to communication, uh, comedy, preachers, artists? What, who does it for you? Well, I've heard you ask this question before, and as a preacher, I'm going to have to repent to give you my answer. <laughs> I love angry comics. Uh, I don't. I don't. Oh, yeah, see, that's the response I get from my wife too. Uh, <laughs> what I love about them is not necessarily that when they go obscene, mm-hmm. but what they really do is an angry comic for me draws a reality into my frame of reference that everybody knows. It irritates all of us, and he just deals with the humanity of it. Uh, <laughs> and so when I'm cutting the lawn and I'm just wanting to giggle, there's certain guys uh, mm-hmm. who I wouldn't pay for their albums, but it just cracks me up when, I, when they go off on a rant. And I'm like, that is inside of me, and he's so right. So, But it's the, it's the skill of observation. It's what so Seinfeld good. does. It's what Bill Burr does. It's what Lewis Black does that... If they didn't go obscene, I'd be more comfortable with it. But actually, their anger comes from, why is this okay? Yeah. And uh, that skill of observation has always been a part of me. And my, it, favorite, it, my, favorite, my favorite bit is, is the, uh, the fair the, or the, the art festival um, that his wife, Bill Burr's wife, takes him to. And yes. he's standing there, and he starts talking about the muffins, that the lady's got these muffins. <laughs> he wants to just- yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think that's it's that, that skill of observation. I like I like people who dig deep, deep enough to uh what John Piper says if you rake you get leaves, if you dig you get diamonds. Mm. And uh when it comes to the word, um I love those guys who have a, uh, a honed sense of observation in the scriptures that they don't rush through those little subtle moments to notice this twist and this turn. You know, in movies I get irritated when you know the music is pointing out to you, pay attention here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think when you find someone who's got that innate ability, um, those are the guys that I want to listen to. Those are the guys that teach me something every time they talk, and I know they've earned the right to be heard. Mm. So uh, those are the yeah, – I, I really, when I listen to podcasts, I listen to what series they're doing. Uh, if it's a topical series and it's going to be the random thoughts of a guy like me, I'm not that interested. But when they're digging a text and they're finding diamonds – Man, you you got my attention. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's yeah. it's that skill of observation and that you know a, a good comedian, whether they're your favorite kind or not, they work endlessly on a on a phrase and on a sentence that is perfect. And you hear them talk about it. That's why I like uh, uh, writing in cars with comedians, the Seinfeld thing when he's he's asking them those questions, and you realize this doesn't happen by accident. This happens by intentional mm-hmm. skill. And as writers. You and I, if we write really well, our preaching gets really good. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I uh, uh, Gary Goldman is a, is one that I really enjoy. Comedian Gary Goldman. Um, mm-hmm. you, fam- you familiar with him? I'm not. I'm not familiar with him. He's a, he's a tall Jewish guy and um, pretty clean. He's a pretty pretty clean guy. 
a lot of stuff on Instagram, a lot of stuff on, um, and he talks about writing tips. And so he's on a thing right now where it's writing tips about, about comedy. And when you, when you start seeing like, okay, so what goes into producing, what goes into producing that one line that, and you're talking weeks and weeks of work, getting the right word, polishing the right phrase, the right setup, you know, the right delivery. I mean, that's, that's tough stuff. That is tough stuff. Um, it's no wonder it's no wonder when you see guys who try to jump over into comedy and they're going to they're going to go be a comedian and it doesn't work out it's like so there's a bunch of guys at the bar who said you're a pretty funny guy but you're not that guy you know that's a different thing altogether yeah 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 i agree yeah that's awesome that's awesome angry comics do make me laugh but i'm with you once they once they get once they go over the edge, I'm like, okay, okay, I got to check out. I got to check out. You know, I yeah, can't. you don't have to. You don't have to be vulgar. It's that sense of observation and that drive. That's the thing that just makes me smile. <laughs> oh man, Bill Burr and his pit bulls. When he's talking about, it'll come undone. Come undone. So yeah, excellent. I appreciate you bringing that up. That was something uh, Dave Stone spent a lot of time talking about uh, when he and I, when he and I got together, he spent a lot of time talking about comedians and lines. And you can tell, you can tell like he, like he, like he wants to secretly, I think he wants to be stand up, stand up comic. I think that's what he wants yeah. to do. Yeah. Well, he's got that. He's got a mind to find that rhythm. Yep. Yeah. And he, you know what else he'll do? He doesn't mind the corny, you know? Right. Like, and, and there's some people who do like, I don't, I can't, the, the corny, the corny trips me out a little bit. I'm not comfortable with that, but he will, like he will walk right into it. He he was telling me he set up a uh, he set up a whole joke in a in a sermon based on if you have if you have hugs if you would just hug yourself um, on a on a regular basis for for ten seconds then <laughs> something like that then yeah. it would it would bring the it would bring the the brain chemicals you need to comfort yourself and reduce anxiety and so he moves from that into a joke and the joke doesn't land at all. He's like, I got a really great joke. And he tells the joke and the joke is stupid. It's just a stupid, corny joke. And it gets no laugh to which he then goes and starts to hug himself, you know? Yeah. And he said, which provoked tons of laughter, you know? And so that's, that's good. I mean, guys who can do that Gaffigan is really good at some of the corny stuff, you know? I mean, that's uh that's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good list of guys. That's a good list of guys. Um, what kind of, uh, when it comes to your preaching style, your delivery, your, your preparation, the gifts that you have, what best describes the way you do what you do? Uh, I'm a a teacher more than an orator. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I'm a baseball guy. I think we talked on the phone, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I speak in sports metaphors very comfortably. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think that what God's gifted me to do is to be, to put the ball in play, to, to be consistent, to make contact there are guys that can walk on a stage and wow a crowd. Uh, that's not that's not how God God wired me. Mm. Uh, I'm a teacher. Give me three or four shots at it, and I think I can I can get it done. I don't know how well I get it done, but I can accomplish what we're after. And so, as a teacher rather than an orator, I really work on how do you connect this piece of scripture contextually into where people can understand it from from a secondhand view. In other words, how does the original audience grab onto it? And delve into that. What is the necessary information to take an American audience back to the days of Jesus in mm. Palestine and show them the nuances that we automatically, you know, popping those mythological bubbles we have, like how we define words compared to how they define words, how Jesus would draw family stories. And they're so different from our families. And I find people lean in on that. Mm. And so um, I've just really been fortunate. The two churches that I've been at over the last 30 years have been 
uh, churches that wanted to be taught. And uh, I, I do deep down inside, I'm as competitive as anybody. I envy the guys that can walk on an unknown stage for 35 minutes and walk off. And you're like, they set that thing on fire. Right. And I just think I wear people down. <laughs> I'm just out there doing what I do. And I like to communicate to an audience. We have several services here. Each audience is like a, a personality to me. Mm. And some will laugh with you and some want to go deeper and some love you no matter what you do. And some people are trying to figure out if they even like you. Mm-hmm. And I love the dynamic as a communicator of altering from my notes, how I'm affecting an audience and going deeper in an area where they respond to, you know, that nod of recognition yeah, sure, calls it, sure. where people are like, I know that. And you're like, do you really? Yeah. And then you get to pry back one of the boards and show mm-hmm. them, no, you wouldn't understand that unless you were Jewish living in the days of Jesus. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know that we can self-assess. I always get uncomfortable when sure. people ask me what I do well. I'd rather ask somebody else what that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I know after this number of years, it seems that God benefits me and the audiences I work with more when I'm more of a teacher than an orator. Mm. My life is um, my life is built um, off of guys like you. Um, I'm not one. I'm not one of you. But the people who surround me, the the good people who surround me, uh, are all wired just like that. Great teachers, you know, just formulated, you know. I mean, just right on point. I mean, just going after it, taking care of it, knocking out the details, making sure nobody walks out, not understanding something. We're going to make sure we get all the way through it. We're going to repeat it if we need to repeat it. Is everybody with me? Everybody understand yeah. this? Yeah. You know, yeah. and I'm, uh, and my life is built, my life is built like that. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm on staff with Luke Bycroft here at the church. And you want to talk about, <laughs> he, he handles, he handles, um, He's the executive pastor and the youth minister. If that if that gives you, the, yeah, you're gonna handle the finances, the numbers, and everything else, and you come over. So you can imagine what what the youth group looks like when they come in and they sit down. And Luke opens up and he's like, "All right, we're gonna be starting in Leviticus. All right, yeah. So open up your Bibles and mashes it to pieces. I mean, takes them to the deep end of the pool. I mean, they are. It's it's excellent. It's absolutely it's absolutely wonderful. But I can't I can't stack blocks, let alone principles. <laughs> You know, when it comes to teaching, I'm so bad at it. I'm so bad at it. I'd much rather be asking the questions and, you know, exercising a little curiosity on my end. But yeah, yeah, that's that's cool. That's cool. Dave Erickson, Dave Erickson, um, his job at Academy, is that right? Academy, at Academy is um, teaching pastor. So he's the teaching pastor there. But when you hear him preach, it doesn't sound like teaching. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, he's so much more, uh, so much more poetic than than what you would probably come to mind when you think of a teaching pastor. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Well, and you've had two of the best writers I've ever heard, and Jeff Fall and Dave Erickson. Those yeah, guys, absolutely. they write so well that I wouldn't, I wouldn't veer off their manuscripts. I don't write that way, mm. and so I'm kind of that composite of. I write a manuscript, but then it's just for me. It's just lily pads to get across the pond. There are yeah. certain certain points I have to hit to get where we're going, but yeah. it's kind of fun to stop on some longer than others. When you see your audience is like, "What?" and you're like, yeah. "All right, let's pause here for a moment. I can make up ground later." And yeah. and it's idiosyncratic. I think we all learn the basic building blocks of how to preach, and that's necessary to understand structures that are logically designed. But then after that, I really love when someone just goes in their own personality and. And uses that strength and makes it idiosyncratic. I think that's beautiful. So where you feed off of teachers, 
Um, I do the same, but every now and then I just want to listen to some guy who gets my blood rushing. Mm-hmm. And right. so I love that God's given us that ability to what plays here in Orinoco, Missouri is not going to play in the big city. And mm-hmm. that, that's okay. So I found a spot where I can fit. That's excellent. That's, I like the way you said that, that there is that that desperate need, that desperate need for Like I need teachers like that in my life. I mean, <laughs> I joke about it all the time. The people that the people that I study and that I read for research, sermon research, would embalm an entire audience. I mean, this stuff is drab. I but I love it because what it does for me is it builds the creative detail that I need. You know? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. What was the book by uh, uh, McGarvey on the basically the soil, the soil, the flora and the fauna of of Israel? Um, and, and he goes through it's like bit by bit. Loved it, absolutely loved it, because those little bitty pieces are so good for the storytelling. When you can step into it and you can say the yeah. rose of Sharon actually is, you know, and and go in like that's so valuable to me. I appreciate all that deep hard work. I don't want to sit and explain any of it to anybody. I just want to drop it in, and you yeah. can figure it out later if you want to. That's really cool. That's really cool. Um. How do you how do you put your stuff together when you when you say you don't write like Jeff and you don't write like Dave? Um, give me give me a quick assessment of how you how you see how they put things together. How do they do that? Uh, well, they you know I've talked to Jeff just uh, casually about this. He's such a good writer that even listening to your interview with him, he talks about his process of writing. Uh, I basically, and this is horrible, so this is what not to do. This is what I've learned in 30 years of ministry. I can tell you what not to do. <laughs> I actually begin, after I've done the, the book work, I actually ask myself this question, and it forces me, and that is, if I had to walk out on stage right now and teach this text, how would I approach it? And mm. I start composing from that question. And then it either turns out to be a real bad idea, or part of my prayer is, God, inspire me when I, I start to say, how do I want to explain this to the church I'm at. And that process allows me then to write. I just blow everything out on paper. And then from there, I construct what are the pieces here that are really helpful for my audience. And so I've been taught by the scripture. And I try to write in such a way that if I had to walk out right now and I had 20 minutes to walk in front of this audience and teach them what I just learned, what are the pieces that are most memorable, most important? And I let the rest of it fade away. And then I write from that, uh, probably two thirds of manuscript. And then when I walk out on stage, I have it in front of me to guide me, but I know the steps I'm taking to get where I want to get. I love that question. I love that question. It, it forces me. And I was never a kid who wrote term papers in college last minute. I'd hated that pressure. But when I asked myself if you would approach this, some of the most spirit-led moments for me have been when someone said, hey, can you go out and talk about this? And you, you just say to God, okay, here's an idea. Here's a hook. And off you walk. And I don't want to live in that realm of not being prepared. That's not what I'm suggesting. But I think there's some people who are like, all right, this idea develops itself in my mind as I compose. Some people write and some people compose. And I think the difference is the writers have a plan. They already know the seven steps they're going to take to get us there. There's probably people like you and me who are more in the moment like, here would be a good angle on this that would help me explain it. And that's where I start. Mm, That's such a good question. That's such mm-hmm. a good question. If I had to do this, if I had to do this in, in 20 minutes or if I had to do this in, what did you say? In, in, if I had to walk out on stage right now, what would I, how would I do this? 
That's such a good question. Like that, you got my you got my wheels you got my wheels grinding away, and that's pretty good. That's a good question. Yeah, and it, it, what's it helped me do is it helps me define a bad idea versus a good idea. Because if you start typing and your fingers are flying and and you're inspired and your mind's running like this would set up this and this and this, I love those moments. Sometimes I start on an angle and I go, "Thank the Lord, I don't have to preach right now because that's horrible." Yeah. But I've learned the shortcuts of doing it long enough that that works for me regularly. Now, I've had students who've interned here with us at the church, and they've tried it, and it didn't work for them. They need to know the seven steps they're going to take. I need to know the first two. And then I feel real comfortable in that moment that there's going to be a progression from that. Once I get those first two steps, I feel like we're off and running now. Yeah. So when you say this is a what not to do, you're being somewhat facetious, but at the same time. I don't think one size fits all. And so when I'm listening to who you guys, what you're interviewing and the guys that are talking, they're all, they all have their own individualistic style, which I think is, that just makes my heart happy because I can't write like some of the, you know, you're familiar with the name Jeff Walling. Yes. Okay. Walling can walk on any stage and he can wow people every single time. Uh, And I look at that. It'd be really easy to resign and go, yeah, yeah, I can't, I can't do that. But when I know that in the local church, sometimes Hitting 300 is better than hitting 50 homers Yeah. Uh, that that I look and go, there's a place for me. Mm-hmm. And if people yeah. want to come and listen to what I'm learning, fantastic. And See, I offer that. That's a genius phrase. That's a genius phrase. That's the smartest thing. That's the smartest thing that I think, I think that I've heard all day for sure. If people want to come and listen to what I'm learning. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah. If people want to come and listen to what I'm learning because the problem is, is that so many of us, we become, um, was it Piper? Was it Piper who came along uh, years ago and said, brothers, we are not professionals. Yes. Um, when we get to that place to where I'm a professional answer man, you know, or I'm oh, a professional, yeah. professional, um, um, you know, orator, or you came here to, you came here for me to wow you, um, <laughs> with my whatever I'm talking about, like that's a dangerous, dangerous place. If you want to come and listen to what I'm learning, that's a brilliant, that's a brilliant phrase. Thank you for that. That's good. Okay. I'm gonna probably use it and wear it out, and uh, and I'll probably say it's mine from this point forward. So, well, you I'll- know, I I joke with people too because I got a snarky sense of humor. They'll you know they'll come out two or three times a year and say, "Man, I really appreciated that sermon," and I want to look at them and go, "I have good material." We're using scripture. <laughs> Why are you shocked? Why are you shocked that you're learning something and God's moving in you? Uh, <laughs> so if you, if you stay with the material, you ought to be pretty good, good at it. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I like to. I like that you say everybody has their own individual style. That's a thing. That's a phrase that always makes me nerve. It, it makes me not nervous. It makes me. I have to just check my gut a little bit every single time because once you. Once it becomes about your style, that that thing can move to the that can move to the forefront so fast. Well, this is the kind of preacher he is. He's got this kind of style, or he's got this. Like yeah. that's a. But you're a hundred percent right. And the reason the reason I think that's important to to nail down and find your voice. You know. Yes. I think yeah. the reason that's important is because of what you said earlier. I'm not comfortable going on and on about what I do and what I do well and how I do it, but there is a spot inside of your head like there is inside of my head to where you come up to a text sometimes and you hit a wall and you begin to think to yourself, what in the world am I supposed to do with this? Yeah. Like I can't find my way around it. And then what I have to go back to is the thing that I know, I know he created me to do. This is the thing he created me to do. So, okay, 
that's what I got to do. So pull from that and then that's your entry point. And for me, it's on the side of, you know, inspire people, inspire people to give God another look. You know, you wrote him off. You were going to, you're going to fold your tent up and you're going to leave camp and you weren't going to be here no more, but you heard something. And that's the, like, that's the thing right there. That's the entry point. So for, for Jared, you got to, you got to inspire. You got to go through that door first. What's the part in there that inspires you? Once you find that, go to the next part. So I appreciate what you said about that. Well, and I think if I, to even go deeper on that, I think if you, each one of us needs to find our style, not invent our style. Are you or someone you know wanting to make a difference with your life, but you're not sure where to start? At Ozark Christian College in Joplin, Missouri, they help students discover the kingdom assignment that God has for them and then train them to carry it out. Ozark prepares students for all kinds of Christian service, biblical communication, biblical justice, youth and children's ministry, counseling, missions, organizational leadership, worship and creative arts, and much more. Ozark's close community, Bible Foundation, and commitment to service prepare students to take the gospel to every corner of the globe as ambassadors for Christ. And Ozark's affordable tuition offers a quality private Christian education at a public university price. Ozark Christian College, your mission is out there. Your training starts here. Mm. And that's what I hear you pushing back on is the person who's got to come out and I'm going to dress a certain way and I'm uh, going to look a certain way that's just counter to who I am because that's what I think people want. Instead of, I think that vulnerability of people being able to see that you are a pilgrim just like they are mm-hmm. and you may be ahead of them on the journey and you're looping back and saying, hey, the road ahead is, is going to be rough, but I'm going to walk it with you. That's what mm-hmm. we get to do as pastors. Yeah. And so I'm not trying to create a style. I had to find my voice. And when I found my voice, uh, you know, I, I have this r- ridiculous thing I use with students, and that is if you want to know if you're spiritually gifted, A, your tail wags when you get to do it. People are blessed when you do it, and they find God because of it. Mm. And you you know your style when it's like, this is what I'm living to do. People seem to come and receive what I received. And at the end of the day, we're giving God glory, and it's, I loved your word, and we're inspiring people to continue to walk in faith. Yeah, I'll do that the rest of my life. They don't have to pay me to. I'll do that for free Yeah, because that's what God created me to do. And if my style doesn't fit in one church over the other, I'm okay with that. I've been fortunate to find two churches that get me and let me teach and I love them for it. And so you just, that's the kind of relationship you want, I think. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. You know, one, one of the, one of the things for me that, that is, that kind of sold me on, on the writing side, because I've been been doing some writing over the last few years and, and golly, when I sit down in the morning at my at my computer in my office at home, and there's no windows. That's an important thing. That's an important thing. There's no windows. I'm a highly distractible individual. <laughs> nothing going on around. I don't need something to go by the window at all. So when I sit down in my office and I start typing, and then the next thing the next thing I hear is the garage door opening. I hear the, I hear my family leave and go to school, and then I hear the garage door opening, and I think to myself. Did somebody forget something? Did they forget their lunch? And it's like, no, no, it's four thirty. No, it's four thirty. Yeah, you've been at this thing uh, so incredibly. It's like, no wonder I'm hungry. Like I'm starving to death. Like this is crazy. <laughs> I love that. I love that feeling. You know, of just being completely immersed in that. And and for me, that was one of the hooks. That was one of the hooks for me on on ministry, on preaching, on church. You know, listen, it's got to conquer me. It's got to conquer yeah. me, you know, yeah. it's got to, when it can overcome me, you know, then, okay, 
that I'm, I'm in. That's a sustainable thing. I could, I could do this the rest of my life. It keeps getting the best of me over and over. I'm going to keep coming back to that fight. You know, I really, yeah. I really like that. Yeah. Uh, oh, cool. wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful conversation. I appreciate that. Um, when it comes to your preaching, when it comes to your style, how have you seen it change through the years? Um, I stopped my ba- my high school baseball coach told me I had to have a hundred at bats till I knew what my swing was. Hmm. And what I realized is I've been able to preach, uh, Students today in, in colleges get to go out and preach. They'll have 100 sermons before they graduate. I was four or five years in ministry before I had 100 sermons. So what I learned over the long poll was uh, I stopped trying to be like the influencers that, that whose preaching I loved. I tried. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tried to be what I heard and right. because it worked on me. And it was it was natural. I was or it was unnatural rather. I was just channeling them. And then I just had someone pull me aside and spoke two or three words to me about what they thought I did really really well. Mm. And I thought it was funny because um, there's this concept called native genius. It's something that each one of us does naturally that we think everybody does because it becomes so natural from us. And in that concept of native genius, when this person at the church spoke to me about what I did well, I thought everybody did that and he, mm. she grabbed me by the cheeks and she said no mark when you do that this is i've never seen anybody do it like you do it that d- didn't mean i was special it was like oh okay go to your strengths play to your strengths it's not about me but if that is c- communicating god's word effectively stay in that lane and that's when i said to myself i'm a teacher i'm not going to be ashamed to be a teacher i don't have a lot of word play uh, you know, I'm probably more tweetable than I ever want to admit, only because when it when it synthesizes in my head, it comes out in one sentence synopsis. That that is something that happens to me when I'm preaching. That's not on the paper. It's like I think God looks at my notes and goes, "This is horrible. Say this." And then all of a sudden, it comes out of my mouth, and I know it works because I come off the stage and it's been tweeted five or six times, and I'm like, "Okay." So what I've learned over preaching is uh, stop trying to be everybody that you're not and go with the thing that makes sense in your head while you're preaching. And I found that's how God leads me best. Mm. So I, when I hear myself say that, I'm embarrassed because it's like, look what I do so well. No, I'm just realized after having had three decades of preaching that there is a voice that guides you in your preaching. Trust it, mm. especially the more experience you get. And we also have to listen to criticism. You know, when my wife tells me after church on a couple Sundays, you're not as funny as you think you are. I'm like, yeah, I am. <laughs> but what she's saying is she loves me enough to say my my humor has a, a cutting edge to it. Mm. And every now and then if I haven't prepped people for it, what I think might be cute and funny and endearing is actually the opposite. Mm. So when someone affirms you, I think you need to trust that. And when someone is critical, I have to hear it. Oh, goodness. I would love to sit down. I would love to sit down and have lunch sometime and just get a piece of some of that cutting, that cutting humor. I think I would enjoy that. I would enjoy the carving. I would enjoy the carving into me. When you talk about tweetable, tweetable phrases like that, listen, my preaching, unfortunately, is much like my Twitter account, and I tweet like Trump. Okay, if that gives you any, <laughs> gives you any idea. <laughs> Like, that's not enough. We don't need 140. More, more, move. Here comes another one. This is part one. This is part two. Now you're about to get the rest of it right now. Part three. So sit down, put your seatbelt on. We're going to take a ride here, you know, and listen to what. Well, what so we're, li- we're living in an age where it's kind of amazing. It used to be I'd look out at an audience, and when heads went down and people started writing, I realized in that moment I'd said something. 
And many times while I'm preaching, I'm thinking, what did I just say that caused five people's heads to snap down and write it down? You know, they, they may be writing blasphemy. I don't know, but they're writing something. <laughs> now it's kind of funny because the phone in my back pocket will vibrate. And I know what that means. I said something and the younger generation is tweeting it or they're posting it or they're turning it into a meme. And I'm like, isn't it funny? The feedback we get is now more instantaneous than it used to be. Well, I said I'm older than you. What it used to be when he was preaching in the 80s and 90s, you would wow. see the physical reaction. Now you're getting this sensation like something was just said because all of a sudden my phone's vibrating right mm -hmm. after something was said. And I think that's just kind of fascinating. You, you can't live for that. I, I mean, I turn off all notifications on Sundays because I don't, I don't want to come off a sermon I thought was good and say, ah, oh, nobody found anything to tweet because that becomes an idol too. Uh -huh. When it first came out, it was complimentary. Then it became needy. And I said to shut down all of that because, but I can look back on Sunday nights and think, huh, of all the points I made with the Twitter crowd, this was the point they grabbed. Yeah. That's incredible. I wish I could do that. And see, that's the thing. That's when you talk about the native genius part. When you can take when you can take that amount of information and whittle it down to a phrase that just captures the whole thing, that's the that's the power. I mean, that's especially that's, when the spirit leads you to synthesize everything you've been studying into that one clarifying sentence that even catches you off guard, right? That's one of wow. the joys of preaching is when something comes out of your mouth mm. and your first thought is, I have never thought of that that clearly and concisely before. Yeah. And that's the moment I just thank the Lord and go, wow, what a privilege we get <laughs> to do what we do. Yeah. And, you know, and when those moments come, it's like all that study, all that preparation, all that marination of meditating on this text. It all came together in one concise sentence. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. Now, you know, if if I would ever say that's tweetable, then someone needs to shoot me and, and take me <laughs> off stage. Because we don't get to decide what lands. Yeah. They tell us what lands. Yeah. But it's even those moments when the Holy Spirit's working and that, that hard desk work pays off with a deeper level of understanding. That inspiration is what I live for. Yeah. Oh, man. It's the greatest job, isn't it? Yeah. Outside of being a dad, it's the best Man. thing I get to do. Greatest job. I mean, that getting lit up like that, I mean, finding something that just, just moves you to a place of, of, of depth to where your appreciation just, and I don't mean like my love for God deepens or my, my, uh, production for God, you know, is better or, or even that my obedience is now greater. I just mean that depth of, seeing more behind the behind the veil you know that piece of yeah. like oh my goodness like that is so incredibly like you didn't have to you didn't have to let me know that you know you didn't have to you didn't have to pull that back you didn't have to you know work through that stuff but yeah. there's that reward for the hard digging you know what you're talking about yeah i absolutely love it yep and that you know that moment when you get up on a sunday morning or, or you know, whenever you're preaching on a Saturday or Thursday or whatever, and you're standing there knowing in about 45 minutes, I get to walk on stage and I get to say this one line that God gave me, not that I wrote it, but some truth that he gave me that I get to shine. Like you said, what a, there's no greater privilege in life than to be able to drop that bomb and walk away and let the Holy Spirit <laughs> do what he's going to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, we've had times where probably both of us walked in the pulpit. And we didn't have that moment. 
and then <laughs> God gave it to us in the middle, uh-huh. and you're like, "Thank you." That was yeah. the first thing I needed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Listen, I've been in this com- I've been in these commentaries all week long, and I have not found one. Th- uh, uh, up here it comes. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Whew, I didn't think he was going to show. I didn't think you was coming Understood. to church today. Oh yeah. man, Lord, I'm glad you came to church today. Like that's yes, a, that's good news. What are uh, when you talk about when you talk about the um, the need for affirmation and validation and uh, people to recognize these kind of things? Uh, what are some of the other preaching pitfalls that that are super easy for us to get into? Uh, stylistically trying to be what's popular instead of what's you. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certain people who speak in prophetic voice. Uh, I have a friend, a uh, very dear friend, and uh, he's the reason I'm in Orinoga. He's one of two guys that got me here, and his name's Jason French, and he's now the president of Christ in Youth. And Jason yeah. is one of the most dynamic, intense speakers I've ever heard. He speaks prophetically all of the time. Mm. And if I tried to live in that realm, it's not who I am. And I think that's one of the pitfalls. Um, I'm going to sound like the old get off your lawn guy, but today with the availability of other people's sermons and their hard leg uh, or hard desk work, um, I'm really fearful of the shortcuts that are not sustainable for a person who hasn't learned to write. There is something about having to walk in back in my day, having to walk in on a Sunday night after you preached your heart out Sunday morning. And of all the lessons you had to write that week, Wednesday night, Sunday school and Sunday morning, for me, Sunday night was always the fourth, and it got no good time. It just there wasn't enough hours in the week. And to right. walk in there desperately knowing you had not prepared well, you had not dug deep, you didn't have much to offer, but you still had to fill it, those things keep you from taking shortcuts. When you can go draw Tim Keller or draw Piper or you can draw Matt Chandler offline and you can preach your material um, – it's not that they're doing a wrong thing. They're just not doing a sustainable thing. Yeah. And I, I fear that today the convenience of, of other people's insights keeps us from growing. And I, I thank God for a church in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, who for 22 years let me learn how to preach there. And for 10 to 15 of those years, put up with candy. <laughs> but every one of those at-bats has taught me how to, to learn, taught me how to write, taught me how to study. And those embarrassing moments in the pulpit put me right back in the room going, I'll never put myself in that position again. That's unfair to them and me. So yeah. I think I think losses are as important as wins. So I, I know I'm, I'm running around the block, but for me, it's those shortcuts that are not sustainable. They'll get you through this weekend. And every now and then, people need parachutes, I guess. And it's really easy to take someone else's idea and sell it as your own. But if there's a dissatisfaction at the end of the day when you know that – what you did was you didn't honor the privilege. You didn't do the work. Now, you and I both know when you're in a church and life hits you in the face and there's a funeral and there's a pipe break and the bus crashes and all these kind of things going on in your world, you may only have two hours to write a sermon. God's in that two hours. Mm. It's when you had six hours and you gave it 45 minutes on an online search. I fear what's going to happen to the depth of our, our theology when it's always borrowed. Mm-hmm. I think those are the pitfalls. And right now, this advent of celebrity preachers, um, especially when people – I remember when people in, in Michigan would say, I'm the best preacher in the state of Michigan. They'd never been to any other church. And I would smile. I'm like, that's cute, but you have no idea that six blocks from here, this guy can preach me under the table. Right. And what happens when they hear the best and the greatest all the time, they're 
becomes a dissatisfaction with the relationship of a local church. Why can't our preacher be like this guy? Or why can't he be like this guy? So I love what you're doing here. You're actually introducing styles out there to simply say, isn't it amazing how God has let all of us have a place, mm. even though our talent is so diverse yeah. and and varied? So yeah. I think those are the pitfalls. It's it's the the hard the hard work of digging to find the diamonds doesn't have to happen today. Yeah. Uh, you, you are a, you are a baseball guy. And I, here's what else I hear you say when you, when you're talking, uh, my buddy, my buddy Luke says this all the time. Think about the resiliency of a baseball player. If they can hit, if they can hit 300, they're a great player. That means they failed seven out of 10 times. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, and you have a little bit of that, don't you? Like you have a little bit of that. You don't oh. mind getting, you don't mind getting raked over something and, and, uh, and learning something from it. Well, what do you do? You quit, or you, or you get up there and prove them wrong. Yeah, quit. It's when you it's when you, disapp- <laughs> when you fail yourself, when you disappoint your own heart because you didn't give it what it needed. You didn't give it the effort you could have. Those are the moments that I hope stays bitter in all of our hearts to say, "I'm better than that. God deserves more than that." And I'm going to come back next week and I'm going to show you that research and study and prayer and preparation matters. Got you. I don't want to talk about this long. I just want to ask. Um, uh-huh. Are, have you have you have you bit into the enneagram at all? Uh, yeah. And I'm a five. You, are you asking? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yes. Wow. So uh, being being an introvert and living in that realm of, uh, I want to make sure I'm ready. Uh, if you give me an opportunity, I want to honor it. I don't want to fail you or disappoint you. I'm going to work really really hard because this matters to me. Yeah. And so. I was so scared. I'm going to be careful. I was so scared. I was one number because I can, I can be pretty bold. And uh, when I saw that number and I didn't test out that way, I thank Jesus for that. <laughs> so do you do uh, color code? Are you, you, we use color code as our staff. Is, are I'm, you, I'm familiar with it. I'm familiar okay. with it. Didn't dive so into I'm, it too deep. I'm a red white. So mm-hmm. my running joke with our staff is the, the red in me, either I care 100% and I'm passionate about it or the white says, I really don't care at all. Do what you want. And so I can vacillate between those two positions. I'm really, really, really passionate, or I'm willing to go, hey, go, go take a bat, see what happens. Well, let me tell you something. Um, other than the seven on the Enneagram, five is my favorite number. My wife is a five. Um, yeah. So I've had to do ample, I've had to do ample um, uh, research on yes. exactly what it is that the five needs. And such a such a cool such a cool number uh and and it's kind of it's kind of funny really i don't know maybe other people won't maybe other people won't notice this but uh you're a preacher you're in the public eye you spend a load of time with other people in the middle of their stuff so that means you have to find some way to oh, yeah some way to block off and not let everybody have your what your avarice your your like the avarice yeah. part right like Absolutely. you can't give people all the energy so what do you what do you do what do you do to bail out of those situations where people start to tax you just a little too much well when i was uh and i know this is probably a good portion of your audience when it was just me and a youth minister and an office manager i, I died I, my pump would start sucking mud quicker than everybody else's. And I felt like I was failing. And there was a lot of moments that I wondered why I was in ministry outside of loving to preach and teach. The rest of it was wearing the tread right off my tires. And uh, I didn't know how to Sabbath 
Uh, and what I would do is I would I'd get away. My introversion would cause me to spend two or three hours with a book or go for a long walk where no one could touch me. And praise God the days before a cell phone because mm-hmm. I could disappear and there was no punishment for not being available. And I would recharge my battery. Uh, what I had to learn was how to Sabbath with God. And I'm not really good at that. It's kind of embarrassing. But I get a way to recharge very selfishly my battery. But what I didn't, I've never really learned to do well. This is my challenge to all uh, ministers is to to live in such a way that you don't worry about justifying your paycheck. But you do justify your relationship with, with the one you serve. And uh, that took me a long time to realize introversion is not a sin. It's a yeah. reality. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I always tease our staff. I said, you know, we Christians, we don't drink, smoke, do drugs. So I, I just cheeseburgered myself into happiness. I would <laughs> I would reward myself with food. And it took yeah. me a long time to realize that that was just as much intoxication for me was when I felt like I was being picked on or I couldn't perform well enough to please everybody. And in a smaller church, man, my heart goes out to those guys who don't have a staff person that could run to the hospital when they got nothing to offer. Mm-hmm. And so you you bring up a real passion point for me. It's these young guys in these churches. I like to come around and encourage them. Hey, call us. We will help you with this because when you're pump sucking mud, you got no fresh water to offer anybody. Yeah. And often we find out too late, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. It absolutely. shows up in pulpit. It shows up in our homes, and we don't yeah. recognize it until someone says, "Are you okay?" Yeah, yeah. We are we are about we are about the third or fourth in line on who finds that information out. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's right. And so having people in your world that help you with that. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I love people. I tease my wife. I do love people desperately. Sometimes they just can't tell. Mm. And and, uh, and I have to learn as a pastor. I did learn how to do that. But it takes a lot, lot more energy from me than someone like who you're an extrovert and you <laughs> love people and you love the energy of that. Yeah. So sometimes if I would compare myself to you, I'd get real discouraged. Yeah. Yeah. That's so that's so cool. And here's the here's the thing. Food is a common thing for fives too, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean that's that becomes the escape, right? Yeah, it's like, a private compensation. <laughs> I was just getting ready to say cuz at the cuz if you if you're going to drink, you got to go somewhere to get it. Yeah, and you got to <laughs> sit at the bar and that's the problem. Like you can't yeah, you can't yeah. I don't want that. I just want to pull up. I want to push a button. I want to talk to somebody I can't see. I want to give money to oh, yeah. someone. Take my food oh, and run. It's so transactional. It's embarrassing. <laughs> I love it. Well, like I said, my wife, my wife is a five, and uh, I can tell you, I can tell you, what you do for the world, what you do for the world, is create a canvas for the rest of us to live. It's a stable place for us to come in and throw paint all over stuff. And you're, you're able to sit there and tolerate all of our poor drawings, all of our poor stories, <laughs> and be able to just drink in as much of it as you can drink in and then generously, kindly dismiss yourself from it. And the rest of us get to walk off and go, oh, he's such a great guy. I love that guy. He's <laughs> such a great guy. He lets me be me. And that's such a, that's such a wonderful thing. So, yeah, that's a, that's a great deal. Five. That's my. It's one of my favorites. One of my favorites. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a seven on the enneagram, and uh, I believe I believe it was uh, Rob Bell who said he is a seven with a seven wing. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the way. I think that's the way he described it when I heard it, when I've heard him speak of it before. So seven with a seven wing. Uh, I don't think I'm quite that far. I don't think I'm quite that far. But a seven at at the yes. end of the day. 
we had a cool interaction. And, and I would tell anybody, and I know there's a lot of buzz right now, Enneagram and, you know, churches are, some churches are saying, you know, stay away from it. It's all, it's all very humanistic and all this kind of thing. But if you want to find new value for people, and uh, the Enneagram is one of the things that really helped me with that. Being able to take somebody and say, what do you do with somebody like this? This person, what do you do with this person? I don't know what to do. All of a sudden, the Enneagram put him in a position of, oh, my goodness. I, did, yeah. I didn't see the gift. I didn't see the talent. I didn't see the abilities in there. I don't know that. And I, and I agree. I know there's a lot of caution on it. The value that I find is it allows me to find, like, when, when I read the number and I read the description, I was like, yeah, that is the best and worst of me. And because you can't self-assess, you're like, wow. And then you see how that triggers other people. But, you know, we've got staff members here who don't don't ever call me a blue or red or a white or a yellow. And I'm gonna, we're not doing it that way. But when you walk in my office, I now understand what your motivation is. Mm-hmm. And, and if I'm going to pastor you and be your, your teammate, I want to bless you. And the way to bless you is to help you with the motivation that makes you whole. Right. And so, yeah, but, and I agree, anything that when they start putting numbers in, you know, you're a dolphin and all this kind of stuff, I'm like, oh, whatever. <laughs> right. But it, it helped me to understand me and I'm a complicated personality. So that was, it was useful. Yeah. Um, I, when I, when I first jumped into it, I, I sat and I, I uh, went through the assessment, did it all. Then I came in and I said, I'm pretty sure my buddy Luke is a one. Pretty sure. Pretty sure he's a one. So I take it in and I said, hey, let me read this to you. The, the loud internal critic, you know, yeah. the, all the stuff, the guilt, everything's motivated by a guilt or an anger or a, like, you know, high on rules and order and, you know, this kind of thing. And I said, I said, hey, I want to read this to you. So I, I read him the compatibility between the one and the seven. And this is a guy who not an emotive guy. Um, he, in fact, what he says is there's one emotion and it's angry. You know, it's just it's just it's just anger. That's it. <laughs> So I read him this and I said, Hey, I want you to read this. And he read it and he, and he goes, Oh my goodness, Jared, we, we need to hug. Like this is, this is yeah. powerful. Like I had instantly this guy who's just always kind of been an arms yeah. guy I've known my whole life was like, Oh my goodness. Like there's so much value. Like, like it took you that long to figure out I'm valuable to you. Is that what you're saying you know yeah it was excellent it was excellent so well hey i don't know how you are on time so don't let me hold you up if you need to if you need to get going i got a couple more questions here but okay go ahead okay um real real quick i want to know i want to know this part when it comes to preaching Mm -hmm. what are the things that you notice in other guys when you hear something see something it's a thing that really trips your trigger you notice it jeff fall said consistency when i hear somebody who just consistently knocks it out of the park and they have that deal what do do you notice um when someone's stream of consciousness is intentional it's heading someplace Uh, my preaching professor at great lakes christian college in michigan was named justin shepherd and he used to pound this on us and we'd make fun of him for it but i live by it every day he said say something he said, don't go in there and preach to preach. Go in there to say something, offer truth, offer hope, offer inspiration. When I see someone who you know every step, there was no wasted motion. Mm-hmm. That That is like, I love that moment where I'm like, I was just led by the hand to see this vista I never would have seen on my own. Mm, and that, yeah. that to me is what, and I loved when Jeff said that because I think a person who does that week in and week out, is a gifted and cares 
Yeah. Sometimes you hear um, op-ed pieces, right? Opinion editorials. Mm -hmm. No one goes to church to hear my ideas about anything. (laughs) But if I can show them what God just showed me, if I run back on the path and I take them down and say, you got to see what I just saw. When someone does that to me, I owe them my soul. I am so indebted to that. So that that's what inspires me in preaching. I look for that moment where it's like, oh, my goodness, you got me to this point. And I didn't even see you doing it. Mm. Uh, because my wife will say I'm a bad sermon listener because I, my head's down. I'm staring at the floor because I'm easily distracted. I, when someone's preaching, I'm visually, mentally following their journey and where they're taking me. And sometimes I'm disappointed where we end up. I can still learn something on the journey, but I missed the best part somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then there's other moments that they drop me right on that vista, and I'm like, holy smoke, that was brilliant. <laughs> and that's that to me is the most inspiring thing. And I can hear that on a podcast. I can see it in a live presentation, but it's like, wow, you just you took me. If no one else went with us, I was so glad you took me there. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. That's cool. That's yeah. cool. What about these guys that are out there? They're getting banged up getting banged up in ministry, and their boundaries are terrible. They have no idea how to put boundaries up there. They don't have the ability that the five has to be able to push it back and be like, "Mm, stay on your side of the fence, please. You know, stay (laughs) stay over there. They don't don't have that thing. They don't have the capacity to just ingest and just love and use that as energy. Um, But they're just getting banged to pieces. They're discouraged. They're beat up. Um, What do you tell guys like that? Well, I'm going to use a term that I don't want to pile on to their pain, but there's a lot in ministry today that's justifying our paycheck. Um, we've created job descriptions for ministers so that the church can go, well, okay, at least they're earning what we pay them. And we've misappropriated that 100%. Now, we we both know that there are people lazy in ministry, and they've ruined it for a lot of people because basically they check the mail, they go home, they have a long lunch, you know, call me if you need me. That's not a ministry. That's not a purpose. What I want to say to the guy who is working his tail off is what I said that's been missing in my ministry for a lot of years. And now now that I've begun to find it, it's a value. You have to have a community of people who you can just pour your your heart out to, somebody who gets it. You have to do that respectfully toward the church. And you have to have a Sabbath in your life that you spend with God, crying out to him. Um, I know this is going to sound like a strange digression, but it's not. I always found it fascinating, and I I use the number of years I've been in ministry, not that I'm an expert, but the experiences I've had have been repetitive. And in 32 years of preaching, any time I wanted to leave, nobody wanted me. And every time I felt like I was safe at home, I would get a phone call. And I looked at God going, can you throw a guy a bone here? When I was drowning, you let me just – and I realized, no, he actually didn't. He he strengthened me. And so the guy who's wondering, does it matter? It does matter. You have to separate your calling from what you're doing to justify your paycheck. So when a student at Ozark comes to me and says, what am I supposed to do here? We're really trying to decide two things. Are you called into this life-giving ministry of the gospel? And can, can you do that in the midst of justifying your paycheck? So have some older people in your life who understand it and go and speak to them and get clarity from them. And then before you make any big rash decisions or you you develop any attitude of digression from your ministry, spend some time in the presence of God. Have that Job moment where you just you unpack all of that. The bitterness that we hold in because we're professionals, the Psalms don't allow that. Yeah, right. And there's a difference 
between ratting your church out to a couple of buddies at a round of golf or over a cheeseburger at a restaurant and actually doing the hard soul work of asking yourself, what am I contributing to this? Mm. And how can, you know, if I ever ask a preacher who's down that comes and talks to me, I'll ask him this question. If you could design a ministry using your gifts, how would you spend a day? Do you know how many preachers can't answer that question? Because they've always been doing the job description. So my word of encouragement is there is still a calling and a vision inside of you to proclaim the gospel. And can you do that in your context? Because most of us, the answer is I can, but I've not been allowed to. Okay, carve time out to spend with God asking him. I would love nothing more than to have three coffees a week with with guys who are struggling in their faith. God, could I do that for you? Watch what he does. But what we're doing is we're having man, man conversations between management and employee. And that's where most guys, I think, get stuck in my experience. I've been there. And when you get into a place where you're free to use your ministry, you'll work harder than they could ever develop a job description. So cast a vision of what what ministry could look like if we weren't justifying our paychecks. And I said, and my heart, Jared, is I don't want to say that because there'll be a couple of guys out there who will be like, they won't let me. Take that to the Lord because he has called you into this. And you're not an employee. You're a, you're a, a messenger. You're a missionary. And you can do that. Even in the midst of some of the ticky-tack stuff we have to do, you can still get that done powerfully. And I think we we lose vision because it becomes a job. Back to Piper's book, we're not professionals. Yeah. But when, when, a, when we've lost the vision of what a day would be like ministering to people, loving on them, teaching and discipling, uh, that's what we need to restore. It has less to do with the job description. It has more to do with the vision of why we're doing the things we're yeah. doing. Ah, so good. So good. You got me all weepy here, Mark. That's so good. <laughs> so good. Um, uh, that, makes me so, that makes me so thankful for where I am. The first thing that Dave Erickson said to me when I emailed him, he said, um, pastor to church, and uh, I do a podcast. And I said, would you be interested in being on? He said, you're a pastor at a church? I said, yeah. And he goes, and you do a podcast? He said, yeah. He goes, how do you find the time to do that? I said, I'm in a unique situation. I'm in a very unique yeah. situation. I'm in a very healthy situation. I've got some really great people around me who, uh, I mean, I'm able to, I'm able to serve and the, the elders at this church are great. So for me, everything you just said, you're 100% right. You gotta, you gotta go through the dark times. You you can't just, you can't just bail out. You can't just pull the cord, you know, bail out of those situations. You know, <laughs> like what you said. When I'm ready to go, ready to leave. No, yeah. stay put, stay put, stay put. You and me need to talk about some of this stuff. So good. Thank well, you for that. Just a book, and then I, I want to honor the time you have too. There's a book called Under the Unpredictable Plant by Eugene Peterson. And if I would have been mature enough to know and read that book when I was in my 20s, I probably would still be serving the church I served in Michigan. Really? Because I'm so convicted by what he does with Jonah in that book that talks to us about the lessons we learn by staying planted deeply Mm. and not being frustrated by some of the things expected of us in a professional culture. And so if anyone's out there hurting, I would really encourage you to read Under the Unpredictable Plant by Eugene Peterson. It would be an encouragement to your soul. Perfect. Perfect. Um, we didn't even get to talk about leadership or, <laughs> confl- or conflict resolution. Um, can we Can we do this again sometime? Oh, I would love to. 
Uh, I would love to. I've created enough conflict in my ministry. I'm a pro at it now. <laughs> I doubt it. I bet you. I bet you're great. So, hey, thank you so much for doing this. This is this is so good. This is a very. I'm not let down one single bit. Not one single bit. This is this is perfect. This is perfect. So, well, thank you. And uh, and uh, I'll uh, next time I'm over that way, maybe I'll look you up and I'll try to try to. I'll, I'll buy lunch. I'd be happy to. Cool, Mark. Thank you so much for your time. All right. Thanks, Jared. I'll see you later. Okay. That will do it for another episode of the Homeless Podcast. We've got some great guests coming up. This is going to be a really good season. Might be a shorter season. Might be only four in this season. It's going to be a good one. Got some really good stuff lined up. But until then, talk to you next time.